Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Jen Schwartz. Uh, She's the founder and CEO of Motherhood Understood. And we're going to talk about uh, mothers and their poor mothers and their mental health, especially when they have kids. So, Jen, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. And I say poor mothers because I'm married and... (laughs) We have three kids and my wife uh, has a very tough job. So just recognizing her and mothers everywhere. Yeah, it's a hard, it's a tough job. Tell me about your background and what got you into this area of focus. Sure. So I am the mother of an almost nine-year-old. He'll be nine actually this Saturday. And when he was born nine years ago, I was really excited to be a mom. I had a fairly easy, you know, uncomplicated pregnancy Nobody talked to me about mental health or anything like that. And the day after I brought him home from the hospital, it was like a a switch flipped. And I was hit with very, very severe postpartum depression and anxiety. And I was completely blindsided by the experience because, again, nobody had ever talked to me about those things when I was pregnant. So I had no idea what was wrong with me. All All I thought was that I was horrible being a mom, I was missing the mom gene, or I guess you could say that I thought everyone else had. And I couldn't understand why I was suffering and why I was crying all the time and why I had this paralyzing anxiety all the time when I thought becoming a mother was the role that I was naturally as a woman just born for. And it took a little while to really figure out what was going on and how to get the right help. And what really the I mean, the details of what happened were the day after I got home from the hospital, I started having these scary thoughts about wanting to get hurt and go back to the hospital so I didn't have to take care of my baby. And that was a huge red flag for me um, because I thought I was just supposed to experience magic and love and connection and joy and all, you know, all of these happy, you know, rainbows and unicorn things. And my experience was the opposite. And 
I had to really kind of fight to find the right therapist and to get on the right medication. And it really took a few months before I found a treatment plan that started to work. And I really didn't feel like I got to the other side of the postpartum depression until my son turned a year old. So I really missed most of his infancy because I was, you know, off fighting this illness. And yeah, that's, that's when I, terrible. Yeah, it was, it. yeah, it was really, really hard and it was scary. And as I started to get better, I kind of started to get angry because nobody prepared me or educated me about these illnesses, which I learned from my therapist when I first met her. And I, after seeing a therapist who didn't know what she was talking about and just made me feel worse, I found a therapist who specialized in postpartum depression. And she's the one that told me she has treated thousands of women like me and that these illnesses like postpartum depression and anxiety happen to hundreds of thousands of women every year and they're completely treatable with the right professional care. And I didn't know any of this, you know, well, until so treat a, treatable means. Um, so how has it been characterized in medicine? What, so you know, what are the think, causes? What are the treatments? Right. So I think it's the tough thing about it is it's really not one size fits all. Everyone, every mom's experience is different for me personally. I had crippling anxiety and I cried a lot. I really couldn't get out of bed and I barely left the house for six months unless I was forced to. And so treatment for me ended up being therapy sessions twice a week and going on an antidepressant for the first time. Those two things really helped. And I think got me on that path to fighting to get back to my old self and fall in love with my son and being his mom. But it took time. I mean, it wasn't really until six months postpartum I started to see myself again and do small things and find joy in things that I used to find joy in, like go to a yoga class or go to a concert or go to a date night with my husband, you know, things like that. So the, these illnesses, when you suffer like that, they need professional treatment. Did this, um, did this get in the way of breastfeeding or does it in the aggregate for many women? Yes. Like what, you know, I know yes. I'm sure child abuse <laughs> is some of the fallout, which is terrible, but what are the other fallouts from it? Right. So, I mean, the child abuse is small. I mean, that really comes more under a diagnosis of postpartum psychosis, which is the rarest of all these illnesses. You know, that needs to be treated right away. Um, but for me, with postpartum depression, I never had any thoughts about wanting to harm myself or my baby or anything like that. And that's not even what postpartum depression is. But I thought I was going to be this champion breastfeeder when I was pregnant. When I had my son... I breastfed in the hospital. And after that, he really struggled to latch. And so I started pumping. But by the again, the day after I got home, the depression and anxiety had already set in that the pumping and having to keep up with that every three hours really also started to take a toll on my mental health. So I actually quit breastfeeding after five days. It wasn't for me. It was really putting an additional strain on my mental health. And I went exclusively to formula. And uh, for me, that was the best decision I had ever made. I know lots of moms who had postpartum depression or anxiety, and they chose to keep breastfeeding because it was the one thing they felt like they could actually give of themselves to their baby. I know plenty of moms who chose to stop because it did take a toll. I think it's kind of, you know, one size fits all. The, the key is, is that in those situations, mom really needs to put her mental health first, not well, wait, 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 how she feeds wait, wait, her baby. Yeah, the baby itself. Okay, so what if you went to a hybrid, you know, where you pump? I don't know how many times. Like, so there's what the baby needs, but 
you know, I know the mom's ducks fill up with milk and everything. So what would be the minimum that a new mom could pump? Maybe there's a hybrid in there. Like they give formula and maybe once a day or twice a day they pump and that's enough. Or is it not yeah, workable? Like I that? mean, I, I think that you can, you can absolutely do a combo, but I think when you have milk in, you have to still pump whether you're giving the baby that milk or not, because if you don't, your, your ducts get clogged and it hurts. So for me, I just let it all dry up with cold turkey right away. But for moms who do both, you, it's still something you have to keep up with. And for some moms, even when they're struggling, it, they actually, they don't mind the breastfeeding. So they stick with it. Other moms, it really just, it takes its toll and they stop. And I think, you know, some moms are get nervous about if they're taking medication with breastfeeding, but there's plenty of safe medications to take. When you're doing that, you just have to, you know, talk with your doctor or your psychiatrist about it. Yeah, it's not really a one size fits all. I, you know, I, I tend to go with the Fed is best and also, you know, mom's mental health is best because if mom's not okay, no one's okay. Right. Yeah, true. Okay. So you, you stopped after five days and then what else did you have to do or what else did you do? What'd you experience on from there? So I was very lucky that we had some part-time help. I had a baby nurse and then we switched from that to a part-time nanny because we thought that I was just going to be a stay-at-home mom taking care of my baby every day and I could really barely be alone with him. So our parents who were very generous all chipped in to help with that extra childcare because my husband had to go to work. But also, you know, he stepped up and kind of took on a lot of the parenting when I couldn't do it. We had family members coming to stay with us to help out because I really spent most of my time in bed. I could barely get out of bed. The anxiety was so crippling. It was like an elephant was sitting on your chest and it was really hard to do anything. I would go outside and walk my neighborhood because the walk-in would actually, the movement would help. And then other than that, I really would, you know, I had a friend who came over most days and she would sit with me and the baby, you know, I would try to go through the motions of taking care of my son but you know usually someone was with me whether it was my mom or my mother-in-law or my sister or a friend or the nanny and I went to therapy twice a week you know to to talk through all this and eventually it got better with time like I said at about six months I started to see some light and I started to voluntarily give my son a bath I started I put him in the stroller and I took him for a walk to the park alone you know, I didn't fake a smile out with my husband one night at a concert and all those first kind of turned into seconds and thirds. And then before I knew it, I was feeling better and just kind of, I, I was a mom, you know, kind of, it didn't happen overnight. It was a process. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Do you describe it as an illness or is that what's told by medical literature? I mean, like when you give birth, your body's been going under, you know, has undergone tremendous change over nine months. Now all of a sudden you give birth and your body's gone under 
big time change. So I would think there'd be tremendous amounts of adjustments. Why call it an illness? Why not look at it as a different way that, you know, what has changed now that you've given birth? I know it's not your job to study everything, but <laughs> how come people aren't studying that and seeing like, okay, all these things change. Maybe the microbiome shifts, you know, all this other stuff shifts. And now to help some people get back to their previous state, they need this supplementation or this or that or the other. Right. Um, it's a good question. I think that no matter what, there's a huge shift in a, in a change for a woman after she gives birth. I think it's mind and body shattering no matter what. But I do think that there are women and, you know, there are thousands upon thousands of women who the extent of what they feel and the intensity and the impact that it has on their everyday functioning and their ability to take care of themselves and, and the baby after the baby comes does put it in that mental health illness category. I don't think that it happens. It doesn't happen to everyone. I don't even think that you need a, a specific diagnosis to say, I'm, you know, I have a baby and it's hard and I'm struggling. But I do think that, you know, just like any other depression or anxiety or OCD or bipolar, these things are very real and they need medical, you know, and a lot of them need medical treatment. You know, I know thousands of women who had to go on medication you know, and, and, and go to therapy and things like that as if they had any other. Right. So I do think that, I do think that they are illnesses. I don't think that everybody gets them. I mean, well, actually, do you think that, is there a correlation between the difficulty of a pregnancy and postpartum effects? Like do women that have difficult pregnancies, a lot of nausea or other problems have less of it and vice versa. Women that have easy pregnancies have this there, there, yeah, there absolutely can be. So I, and I didn't know this when I was pregnant, but there are tons of risk factors for having postpartum depression or anxiety or any of the other perinatal mental health illnesses. A difficult pregnancy is one of them. I mean, again, it's not, there's no one size fits all. I had a ton of risk factors I didn't know about. I mean, if you, you know, you have a history of, of mental illness in your family, that's a risk factor you know, you, if you've gone through a miscarriage or infertility, that's a risk factor. Yes. Major nausea, hyperemesis, you know, all of that can be a risk factor. Having um, an unsupportive partner moving, you know, right before you have the baby moving to a new place, you know, where you don't have family, all of these are risk factors. I had oh, a fairly... I, was, I was hoping it would, um, I was hoping <laughs> it would be the opposite where if you have a difficult pregnancy, at least thank God you have an easier time after, but not it sounds necessary. like you're saying they yeah, get not necessarily. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Yeah, sometimes I mean, so I had a fairly easy pregnancy. My labor wasn't so easy. I labored for 24 hours, pushed for two and then had a C-section. And that there's a correlation between that, you know, and what happened to me also. So it's again, it's I think it's hard to know. I think that's why I'm always kind of preaching the best thing you can do is just educate women and their partners before the baby comes. So they're at least aware that, you know, there are risk factors and that these things can happen. And in the event that they do, this is how you treat it. So what is your role right now in in helping people with this issue? What have you chosen? So I run um, an online community and platform called Motherhood Understood where we offer resources and support and connection and community to women and their families. So no mother has to go through a mental health illness like I did alone or in isolation or feeling ashamed. Because one of the things that happened to me when I was struggling is that I felt deeply ashamed and I didn't want anyone to know what was going on because I didn't know it was so common. 
So when I got better, I actually started writing about my story and sharing really intimate details of what I went through. And in turn, so many women started opening up and sharing their experiences with me. And now I run an Instagram community of over 110,000 women where we share, again, education and quotes and stories that moms send in. So I share stories written by other moms who've had similar experiences, really just with the idea that stories are how we combat the shame of all this and to help moms feel understood and seen and to normalize all these feelings of struggle once you have a baby. Are the moms up to participating in the groups? Like, you know, what if they're they're so down and out that, the, the you know, do you have like a, for people that are very, very, very affected, is there baby steps or a way to put their toe in the water to start engaging at a small level? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, one thing you can do is just read what's, you know, you can just read what is posted. You don't have to comment or like or anything like that. I have moms who will, you know, send me, you know, send me messages or emails, asking questions, reaching out where they can start, you know, to look for help. And I always answer those um, because I love, you know, one the most satisfying, satisfying part of all of this is being able to hook a mom up with, you know, a therapist or point her in the right direction to start feeling better. And then a lot of times what just happens is they see comments or they see the memes that we post on our Instagram account or they read another mom's story and what happens is it just kind of gives them the courage to realize or speak out and tell who I tell tell someone anyone their partner or friends a a family member that they're struggling and they need to do something about it what point do people reach out Uh, do they reach out when they're in the middle of postpartum depression or they reach out early in the pregnancy like where do you um, put the lines in the water to find people to help them so it it varies. I have um, community members. I think in all in all areas, you have I have women who are pregnant, women who are pregnant with their first. Then you have women who, honestly, on the other side of it, that are just there. I think for moral support or because you know things that we post resonate with them and what they've been through. And then we definitely have lots of moms who are in the thick of it and seeing that they're not alone really helps. What other factors uh, correlate with this being, you know, a super difficult experience or not so bad? Or, you know, is this, does this happen less with the second child or a third? Like, what are some of the other risk factors? So the statistics are that if you've had it, if you had it with one child, you're at a 50% higher chance of having it with your next. But again, there's no, you know, definitive science. You know, I, I know people who had it, who, you know, I have a friend who had it with her first. And she did not have it with her second or third. And I have a friend, you know, I know a mom who had nothing, you know, had it, did not have an, a mental health illness or issue with her first, but she had it with her second. You know, I, I know parents who've had it with all two or three or however many of their children. So yes, you, if you've had it before, you're definitely at a higher risk to have it again. Um, we also, you know, at Motherhood Understood, we like to talk about what you can do to kind of set yourself up for a better situation next time you can't you can't prevent it but you can have supports in place you know to minimize what it will be like the next time around yeah that's good and what about the mothers that uh you know from what i've heard a very high number of people a significant percentage do not respond to ssris and and depression drugs so what do those women do yeah it's hard i um you know there's there are antidepressants that are not SSRIs, you know, there are other options to try, Um, you know, there's different forms of therapy, like EFT and EMDR, 
and things and things like that. I'm not super well versed in the alternative, you know, medicine just because medication works for me. But you know, there are I there are people who do talk, you know, who do talk about that. I'm sure, you know, there's herbal supplements, CBD. You know, I know moms who you know who will take CBD things like that. And and again, there's other things too. Just you know, as simple as getting outside, getting sunlight. You know, having a little bit of a social network that you can, you know, commiserate with going to a support group, again, finding a therapist. So there are other non-medication things that you can be doing. Are there um, scientific papers that are, you know, research that's being done on postpartum or is it pretty sparse? Yes. So it's, I would say it's not, it's, it's sparse, but there is research and there is even um, a really great study that's going on out of UNC Chapel Hill called PPD. I want to say it's called PPD Act. And what they're basically doing is getting um, moms who have struggled with postpartum depression actually are submitting their DNA samples to the study. And they're studying postpartum depression to see, you know, if there are genetic markers and if there is, will be, you know, a way to treat it or treat it based on your genetic makeup. I think kind of what they're doing with certain cancers, they, so they have started this type of research, but no, it is not as prevalent, you know, as with other illnesses for sure. So what's, what's uh, in the near future for your organization over the next year or a couple of years? What's your goals? So right now, just kind of maintaining what's been going on, just making sure to post stories and content, staying communication with women. I'm hoping um, that now that COVID is kind of the, you know, descending and we're kind of moving away from it, there's going to be more in-person events. I was doing a lot of in-person events and speaking before COVID. So I'm looking forward to that picking back. And um, I think eventually maybe releasing a book, we'll you know, kind of see. Okay, excellent. So yeah. where can people uh, get access to the group that are listening? How do they find it? So the website is motherhood-understood.com. And then you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at motherhood understood, all one word. Very good. Well, Jen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I know it's an important Thank issue you. and uh, I know it's not talked about very much by most people. So appreciate you bringing Thank it to life. Thank you so much. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.